and welcome to another episode of the UK Airshow Review Podcast, the podcast we started when we had no airshows to review. My name is Sam Wise, and joining me on the episode today is a very special and very familiar guest to the UK Airshow goer, and indeed the European Airshow goer, uh, Tony De Bruyne, the lead pilot of the Bronco demo team, who display their OV-10B Broncos around Europe uh, every season. Um, I'm sure it'll be very familiar to anyone listening. Tony, thank you very much for coming on the show. No, my pleasure, totally. Thanks for uh, inviting me and having us. Um, it's my pleasure. I mean, it's it's you're very, as I said, very very familiar sight on the scene. So it's it's great to sort of looking forward to to learning about the background of the team. But the first question really is, how did you get into aviation, and where did that journey to becoming a pilot and becoming a display pilot begin? Well, uh, how did I get into aviation? Um, as from when I was a small kid, you know, like less than 10 years old, I was always fascinated by airplanes. And I started uh, doodling, drawing, drawing airplanes on paper for as long as I know. And then there was a wonderful uh, French uh, series by um, a director named Camus on the pioneers of aviation, mainly in France. Um, it's a little bit, but I don't recall the name. There's like a very uh, famous uh, American series as well about pioneers of, of aviation. And that was on TV when I was like 11, 12 years old or so. And that really got me hooked uh, totally. Um, and from there on, I mean, anything I did was, you know, I mean, uh, uh, newspaper cuttings, anything which had to do with, <laughs> with sure. airplanes. Uh, any magazines I could get my hands on. Then um, by the time I got like 14 years old or so, I take my bicycle and cycle to Antwerp Airport, which at the time I mean, was like five, six mile uh, ride or so. So mm. it was not, I mean, in those days, <laughs> it was quite something for a young lad. And um, uh, that eventually led to, uh, you know, um, um, fence hanging and then at a certain point the guy from the fuel station came over and he said like look would you be interested in uh, doing some vacation uh, work having having you know i mean refuel airplanes clean and wash airplanes so in the end of the day it ended up to like i've basically i think covered all aspects of aviation mm. up to this point except for uh, being um, uh, and and hair an aerostess or a steward <laughs> so that's the only thing which i've never i've never ventured into mm. but otherwise you know from uh, engineering uh, down to flying uh, operations uh, logistics anything you name it and uh, i'm 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 quite um, well fitted into that sure well so what what was your route to becoming a pilot itself how did that start well, that's quite an interesting story. When I was like, uh, I, I wanted obviously when when I was a kid, you know, I mean, and disinterested in in aircraft and aviation, you want to become a pilot as everyone does. Uh, but uh, I'm uh, myopic, so my eyesight was not that brilliant. It's not bad. I mean, it's 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 very good with correction and whatever. Mm-hmm. But back in those days, obviously, you couldn't become a military pilot, so that was already out of the question. And uh, in those days, in the uh, 70s, early 80s, becoming a professional pilot in Belgium was a little bit questionable as well. So when I was like 15 years old, I passed all the medicals and then the end result was that I could never become a commercial pilot. Sure. Because my eyesight was not sufficient. So I gave that up. Then uh, uh, 
went to um, well obviously college uh, university became uh, an engineer um, and then eventually later on in my career I did a, a PPL although I must say when I was studying I did a gliders course so I soloed on gliders back in 83 or so did a few uh, did a few solos and then that was it then I went into studying again and then about 10 years later or so, or 15 years later, um, I, uh, I basically bought a chipmunk from an auction. <laughs> really? In order to do my, uh, to do my PPL. So by uh, 1998, I gained uh, a PPL and that continued on to a CPL in 2001. Sure. Cool. So that, yeah. what, what, what was your first flight in a powered airplane then? First flight in a powered airplane was in, uh, I think, I believe it was in 76. It was in a 707 as a, as a passenger, as a young kid. I'd won, I'd won a contest, a Lego, a Lego building context, contest, <laughs> um, which I built actually uh, an airport, on a, I think, or whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So it was a Lego, a Lego contest and uh, the, the, the um, only one second prize. But then the girl who won the first prize, she couldn't get onto the plane because she was scared of flying. Or so. Oh no! So we traded prizes, and I got the I got the first prize, which was uh, a flight on board the 707 to um, a charter 707 from Brussels to Billund to um, Legoland. Oh wow! Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that's very that's, that's a very cool story, actually. Classic 707 with straight jet engines. Oh, wow. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so what? what is your full-time job now, obviously, aside from being the, the Bronco Demo Team pilot? And I actually, before, I, I want to I sort of preface this question. Um, I remember seeing on Facebook a few months ago, I think it was something like a Swedish Caravelle um, Facebook group announced that they had, their, their Caravelle was going to Finland. And I remember seeing you post on it saying that you you have the world's largest uh collection of caravel spare parts or something like that which i really confused me and really surprised me and i was wondering how how that comes about and and in particular why caravel parts yeah why caravel parts my one of my companies eureka aviation is kind of like the first uh venture really uh eureka aviation is a company who initially specialized in like logistical services so um, finding and supplying support services for um, private airline companies in in then zaire now the congo um, and eureka aviation from supplying spare parts that eventually led to buying and selling complete airplanes mm -hmm. and um, we were fortunate uh, to be able to buy the three French ex-French Air Force caravels in Tahiti, which were used for the um, the nuclear uh, program. Oh wow! The French abolished in the uh, in the mid 90s. So they they were selling those caravels. So we ended up buying those caravels, and with the caravels came a little package of spare parts, which was great. But then eventually, um, uh, one of the French maintenance companies, Sojerma which now actually coincidentally became Sabina Technics. Mm -hmm. um, they were still maintaining uh, caravels um, 
and the last operator they were supporting was the Swedish Air Force. So when the Swedish Air Force then finally decided to stop operating the caravels, which was back in the late 90s, Sojerma uh, was selling their complete um, spares holding, caravel spares holding, which was quite extensive, uh, which I think was about like for five 40 truck 40 foot uh, truckloads or so so wow. all those wow. pairs <laughs> all those pairs are still sitting here in our in our warehouse because i think well i mean you know they're they're i mean they're kind of useless because obviously nobody flies caravels anymore sure there's still quite significant historical and valuable uh well i mean historically valuable spare parts let's put it that way i mean not monetarily yeah. necessarily valuable but uh, i mean there's like uh, loads loads of good stuff you know i mean it's it's um it's a it's a very neat cash and i'm certain if anybody would have uh, the great thought to try and return a caravel back to airworthy condition with all the spares we have mm -hmm it should be quite feasible in fact mm -hmm. i was going to ask there's no temptation to do a caravel demo team then no no not on my part but i mean given somebody with like a huge amount of cash available <laughs> that's what always comes down to unfortunately isn't it that's it yeah but i mean it would be totally feasible so i mean people like uh, the likes of uh, uh, the late paul allen or so if they would be interested to venture into like a real classic jet airliner um, making that airworthy again i mean there's probably a few airframes which could qualify mm -hmm. and with all the pairs we have it would be a venture which would actually be quite feasible and on top of that i mean you know with avon engines there's facilities still overhauling uh avon engines uh, yeah. today for the hunters obviously i mean they can easily do those engines as well for the mm. caravels it's not something which is totally um, I mean, uh, it's not a totally silly thought, mm. and it would be a very, very classic. Uh, be a fantastic aircraft to get flying in. I think it's it's as iconic as like yeah. you know the likes of constellations or or whatever you know. Yeah. I mean. um, and other than caravels, obviously, what else are you doing at the moment, business wise? Well, I mean, obviously, we're not doing anything with those caravels. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just so basically uh, i mean uh, it's it all started with a spare parts business that ended up to buying and selling complete uh, airplanes uh then um, that business led to uh, operating our own airplanes which were the the, the skyvans and in the meantime um well we also bought you know because of buying and selling airplanes and aircraft spare parts you're just like in the middle of everything uh, Buying a chipmunk, buying a, a pair of Broncos mm -hmm. in Germany. Um, and what am I doing today is basically combine all this and try to run the, uh, the Broncos. Sure. And a few other smaller airplanes while we still maintain the uh, spare parts business. We still um, are very active in um, maintaining um overhauling repairing um you know all the components on the bronco mm -hmm. but also other components for uh historic uh, jet engines and so on so sure. to that to that to that regard we've, we've got a caa uk caa approval which um basically covers um uh, uh, the airframe 
engines, hydraulic components, uh, landing gear components, electric components, and um, I've probably forget a few of those items, but all for permit to fly, ex-military, mm -hmm. historical uh, aircraft. Sure. So we have uh, we have a very uh, extensive um, shop uh, where we can where can where, where we actually can complete all this uh, work. Sure. Well, that... So we are yeah supporting historical operators uh, worldwide with component repairs basically. Well, that that leads on quite nicely onto talking about the Bronco. Um... So then, what was your first experience with a Bronco, and what got you hooked onto them to the point that you you fly them and display them? Uh, this this goes back to when I was still a kid and going to air shows and so on. So that's why it's kind of like vital air shows keep keep mm. going because I meet a lot of people. That's where it all seems to start. So I went to an air show in Holland in uh, I think 1980 or 81 or so, the Pale, where uh, there was two American Broncos, uh, U.S. Air Force Europe Broncos based in. Um, um damn it uh the base next to Ramstein, which is closed in the meantime anyway they, yeah regardless but i mean they they just flew over there they were parked there static i think one did a display or something like that mm -hmm. and i thought it was like a, a very interesting airplane i've always been interested in turboprop airplanes okay special performance airplanes which the bronco definitely short takeoff and landing unprepared strips etc um so it it kind of uh caught my attention there and then uh about um that would have been the beginning of the 80s at, at the end of the 90s uh the german um, government was selling two broncos as as uh, well scrap basically aircraft battle damage repair airplanes mm. um, which we then ended up buying and uh, restoring sure um and how would you describe the bronco as an airplane to fly in general and and to display it's just the one airplane everybody would want to have in my mind <laughs> <laughs> because it, it it really combines everything you can take it anywhere you like really provided like you've got like a 500 meter or even less grass strip mm -hmm. um i mean that's what it is it's built for you know to operate from rugged terrain unprepared strips that's what it says so i mean uh, um it's got two engines it's got two turboprop engines they're garrett they're very reliable uh they're very i mean very good engines um actually all the internal components in the engine are still being built new by by uh, honeywell now um then what else it's got a reasonable it's got a reasonable cruising speed of, of 200 knots for the uh, for the smaller models i mean mm -hmm. up to 230 to 50 for the bigger models sorry when you say the smaller models and the bigger models what yeah do you, you, got mean the, by that? you got the a model up to the uh, e models which are um 715 horsepower and then you got the the, the ov10d models which have got thousand horsepower engines so they're, okay. they're slightly they're slightly faster they're the the long nose uh, broncos okay and with uh, the auxiliary tank, the belly tank, Bronco has got like a, a, an, an endurance of at least four hours. So 
you know, I mean, that's 800 to 1,000 nautical miles range, range, which which takes you quite far and about. And again, it's two engines, you know, so over water, you don't need to worry about anything. I mean, there is like this added uh, safety margin and so on. So it's a very, very versatile airplane. On top of that, it's two people. You can still put up to five people in the back as well, if mm. you'd like. But if you don't put people in the back, you can you can haul 3,000 pounds of cargo. Oh, wow. In, I mean, a reasonably sized uh, cargo hold. So on top of that, I mean, you can go a long way at a reasonable speed with a lot of stuff that you carry along. Uh, I mean, in quite a comfortable, I'm you know, quite a comfortable uh, way. Then on top of that, I mean, obviously with all the the perspex around the pilot and and the um, the observer, which which is the person who sits behind the pilot, that's an mm -hmm. observer. It's not like uh, a dual. It's not a co-pilot or so. Uh, it's called the observer seat. I mean, the visibility is just amazing. Um, the aircraft, I mean, is so incredibly maneuverable. I mean, it's it's fully aerobatic. It was built to a plus 10G strength. Obviously, we don't operate it anymore, too. But I mean, we still operate it to plus six and a half Gs. Wow. Um, the only limit in aerobatics is like it's got a very limited, uh, it's got like a 10 seconds uh, inverted uh, capability due to the oil supply in the engines. Okay. I mean, that's, that's basically it, but it's just like... A, 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 a most versatile and fun airplane to fly to any to any regard. Sure. Um, where you don't need to worry too much about anything really. On top of that, it's built by the manufacturer to do a job. Yeah. So the systems are designed that like if anything happens or so, the airplane basically reconfigures itself. Um, so that the pilot doesn't have to worry about like, you know, losing a generator if that mm -hmm. would ever happen or anything else or so. And I mean, the fuel system as well, there is there is basically no fuel system management because the way it is constructed, it will always supply all the fuel from all the tanks to the very last drop to all the engines operating at, at any time. So you don't need, I mean, you, you you really don't need to worry about, about anything <laughs> when, you're, when you're flying the airplane, you can concentrate sure. on the view, which then obviously the way we fly it um, makes our life just just incredibly, mm -hmm. uh, incredibly easy. It's, it's the simplest, it's the simplest airplane to fly as well. Is it is that a factor of it being designed for sort of low level observation and, and ground attack, that sort of thing, having that amount that's, of redundancy exactly, from like small exactly arms fire? It, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly, sorry to interrupt you, but that, oh, that's no, exactly it. it. It was designed from the outset for that job mm -hmm. um, where, you know, obviously you're in a very hostile, very near to the ground, uh, very exciting environment. You're looking outside all the time, so you don't really want to worry about the airplane or its systems at any time, but rather mm -hmm. about what is happening around you. Um, and on top of that, I mean, that's the piloting aspect, then the engineering aspect, which is most amazing as well. I'm, I'm sure it's it's one of your next questions, but we can go straight into that as yeah. well. On the engineering side, it's exactly the same thing. It was designed to operate out in the field without any special 
ground equipment, any special tooling. Uh, just with a standard toolbox, you can maintain, you know, you can do all the maintenance on the airplane you would ever want to do. <laughs> That's um, amazing. It's, so it's, it's, um, and, and, and it's, it's been designed, you know, to be sent out to the field and just basically uh, operate with the simplest of means available. Yeah. So presumably getting stuck out at, a, at an air show venue isn't something that happens very often to you? Well, it does not f happen very often, but I mean, uh, it happened on one or two occasions or so when indeed, you know, the, the, the starter generator shaft broke or so. But then again, you know, I mean, when you've got a spare part available, it's like you don't need anything, you know, and you just go to the next uh, hangar where there's an engineer. Yeah, and sure. You catch him, he comes out with his toolbox and sure. you know, 30 minutes later, you're, uh, you're going again. And that's actually the way, I mean, what happened as well for the way we got going again at that time yeah and presumably even with, with certainly with the, the trader in your business even though obviously the bronco is not at all a common aircraft in europe anymore the spare parts isn't isn't difficult aren't difficult to come by it's a very it's 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 quite a reliable airplane uh now the spare parts are not that easy to come by obviously you know i mean we've been involved with the bronco for 23 years now or so almost um i mean we we know the sources we know the people we know where to get spare parts in the meantime we've built up a very considerable uh, stock of spare parts mm -hmm. as well um then what is important to that regard i think is that we can we got full capability on basically everything all components on the airplane which we can overall repair service uh ourselves in-house and uh i mean that's a big a big game changer you know you don't need to send out stuff or i mean well you can actually uh buy you know um used components from somewhere and then we refurbish them mm -hmm. and build up our uh, stocks of serviceable parts so to that regard touching wood spare parts wise uh i i mean we do not encounter uh, too many problems and we've always been able to solve them with, you know, in, in, in minimal time or so. Great. And, and obviously by doing that, I mean, building up all the, you know, know-how, experience, yeah, sure. uh, the sources, um, uh, which, which just makes it easier and easier as, as, as we go along. Um, there are, I'm sure there are civilian operators in the US as well. Do you, do you talk to them? In contact with yes, other yes, yes. We, we have uh, very good relations uh, with them, so I go out there and, and visit them um, on a quite uh, a regular basis. Mm -hmm. We do exchange information when we got like you know technical issues or when we find things. Obviously, the airplane is getting a little bit older or so, and um, yeah, we we do exchange information as, as much as as we can. Sure. As far as Europe's concerned, what do you think? I mean, I, I probably know the answer to this, and particularly think of its short field capability. But what does the Bronco bring to the air show display scene in Europe that no other aircraft does? Well, it's a very unusual airplane. Uh, the sound is quite uh, unique as well. It's it's, um, it's it's not like a noisy airplane or so, but it's got a pretty mm. distinct sound to it. 
which I think we use to the full advantage when, when we go anywhere and, and display, you know, by, I mean, if, if you start uh, moving it about in a bit of a dynamical uh, way, you get all different, you know, uh, sound angles, so to speak, mm. uh, which makes it quite, uh, quite exciting. Then the other thing I think which is quite unique is like, you know, you have a small air show somewhere out in a field, a pasture or whatever, provided it's kind of like a reasonable length four five hundred meters or so we can we can bring the airplane um, i mean we usually can bring the airplane in there because obviously we need to uh, evaluate a little bit obstacles mm -hmm. and also uh, wind temperature wise or so there might be certain limitations or so but um, most of the time it, it it will work and which which then is nice because you can bring the airplane very close to the people you can operate out of the the field and basically demonstrate what the aircraft was built for and what it is still quite capable um, of um, of doing. Sure, I mean, I think anyone who's seen the display will will agree that it is. You throw it around and you really show off the maneuverability of the type and the the unique yeah. design and all of that. I mean, how do you go about working up a display? Is it have you, have you changed it much over the years? Do you adapt it to different venues? Well, uh, adapted to different venues, yes, we do, uh, as, as is necessary. Sometimes, you know, the display area has got like an awkward shape or so, or there is certain limitations, areas which you cannot overfly or so, then, then we adapt. But basically, um, in my display, I try to show off all the capability of the airplane. So, which is short takeoff and landing, highly maneuverable, um, short turning radius, uh, well, as as you say, throw it about just to show the maneuverability, uh, the agility, um, high speed, low speed. It's it's all in there, um, and that's basically um, yeah. What I've I've been trying to do. I've not been trying to develop a polished aerobatics display or something mm -hmm. like that because that's not really what the airplane is about. The airplane mm -hmm. is about by being you know versatile, rugged, and that's that's what i'm attempting sure <laughs> and i always will take suggestions of anybody but uh, that's what i've um, what i'm attempting to, uh, to 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 bring to to an audience sure um and the two aircraft you own are ex german target tugs if i remember yep, correctly correct, yes. and that's is that 19 no, 99 plus 18 and 99 plus 26 that's the two correct, airframes yeah. um is there any major differences between the two airframes themselves and what's the main reasoning behind alternating them every display season? Uh, well, actually, at the moment, we only fly 18 and 26. Uh, hopefully, we'll be ready next year. We got a slight delay with that um, mm -hmm. due to COVID. Um, but basically, there's no difference between the airplanes, nothing at all. Um, I mean when we got them they were still in the original configuration which the germans had 18 of them one was a two-seater training airplane with dual controls uh, and all the other ones were either uh, of 10 b's straight or bz's and the z was only um, out of the 18 only 12 airplanes mm -hmm. which had a, a jet engine on top and by god i would like to find <laughs> This jet what? engine pop and put it back on top and come and display they it. They had a jet, a jet engine on top. Yeah. Why? A, J, a J85. It's uh, you know, like in a, in an F5 or so. You got J85s with yeah. alpha burns. 
on the Bronco, you didn't have an afterburner. It was just like a straight, uh, straight J85. Uh, because they uh, wanted to high-speed target towing. Oh, okay. And the VNE &E of the Bronco is 350 knots uh, indicated airspeed, which is quite quite a high airspeed. I mean, I <laughs> I once was talking to a friend of mine who's a 737 part, and he goes like, Jace, your VNE is higher on the Bronco <laughs> than on the 737. Because the 737 is only 347 VNE. Amazing. <laughs> So with, with the Bronco, actually, you know, I mean, uh, given a little bit of altitude or so, you're, you're able to reach like Mach 0.6 or something like that. But I mean, very, very briefly only because you need to point the nose like vertically straight sure. down. Sure. In our configuration, however, with the jet engine, you could have done it in straight and level, you know, flight. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be a future project for you, surely. Well, that's it. If I can, if I, if, if ever can find my, uh, get my hands on, on a pot. The engine is not a big deal. You can find them everywhere, yeah. but uh, we need we need a pot to put it on on the airplane, and then uh, you know, I mean, you'd probably take off in less than like well, fifty yards or something. Like <laughs> full blast. I think we'd all and, love uh, to see and that. And probably climb at an angle of like forty-five degrees <laughs> or more or something like that. Something ridiculous. That's amazing. It would just be awesome. And the kids. The wiring is still in the airplanes, and uh, most of all the other kit is available, except for you know the mounts and whatever. But uh, then again, the Germans only operated with those jet engines for the first three years or so because they figured with the engine the, cons the fuel consumption was so high that uh, there was almost no you know I mean operationally operationally it, it didn't make any sense mm -hmm. for them to high-speed target towing and they replaced uh, the high-speed target towing Broncos with the uh, Learjets uh, and the like, mm -hmm. which obviously is a lot more efficient in the high-speed, uh, on the high-speed side. Mm. Uh, now for an air display, you know, I mean, we only need fuel for six minutes. We can easily operate with jet engines. No, <laughs> no sweat. <laughs> I think you'd like the idea of that, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, I yeah, I more than like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Did you have to make any changes to the airframes after you got them? Um, have you made any uh, modifications? No, no, not not at all. Actually, because they're they're uh, well, I mean, they're basically the unarmed version of the uh, of the OV10A, which to a degree makes a few things a little bit simpler or so. However, what we did is we put the sponsons back on because sponsons are part of the uh, of the armament but we got like uh, uh i mean well uh empty sponsons mm -hmm. um just because it makes the airplane i mean look a lot more um, aggressive i think and a lot more um, well it's, it's a lot better looking with, yeah. with the sponsons on it Otherwise, I mean, it doesn't bring any uh, any uh, virtues or so. Mm -hmm. And then um, we are hard at work to uh, put the dual controls back in as well. So we'll have uh, eventually we'll have dual control Broncos. And then we are gonna make a few other changes towards the future as well. But uh, I'll keep that uh, I'll keep that a surprise. Okay, sounds good. Um... <laughs> Every every season you have a sort of a different certainly a paint scheme and, and sort of a different theme for the team every year. How do you choose them and, and how did when did you sort of decide you wanted to start theming your seasons? Well, it kind of like got started with the uh, Jets are for kids or so, and then that uh, was quite good. 
and then um, it's nice because every you know every other season or so we've got a new story to tell and we can bring something new show a new aspect of the Bronco as well mm-hmm. um, how shall I say what the, the way we choose those teams is it it needs to be in relation to the Bronco itself one thing or it needs to be in relation with the team uh, with with the team not with the team with the team so with, with uh, i mean like bronco demo team we're based uh at kortrijk wevelgem which is in the middle of flanders fields uh i i i mean i take that the airplane is is finished in uh german markings uh nothing to do with world war ii but um they are uh, you know a nato sure um german markings from from the 70s 80s <coughs> But we're still based in Flanders Fields, and coincidentally, Kortrijk Wevelgem as an airfield got created in the First World War by the Germans. And you know, I mean, bringing poppies from Flanders Fields, the poppies which grow in front of our hangar, actually, which grow oh, really? on the airfields every every uh, like, I mean, it's it's they're, they're kind of like in their finishing days now. But last month or so, or the, or the sure. month before, it's like fantastic. You know, I mean, we we drive to the hangar or we drive away from the hangar and you're like there's a mile long drive with poppies on both sides of the roads it's just like amazing you know it's like yeah it's it's, it's fantastic so i thought i mean one of the teams and that the most successful team we've 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 ever done was like bringing poppies from flanders fields with our bronco uh all over europe uh as kind of like a message of reconciliation and whatever Mm um as a, as you know i mean a goodwill a goodwill message which was, which was very very well received everywhere mm. and uh, even in czech republic in the uh, the nato the nato uh, ostrava nato days it it accumulated to uh, doing an actual poppy drop mm. poppy petals from the british legion uh, bringing them over to czech republic and then dropping yeah. like 300,000 of those petals or so it at an air show at their 100 um, uh, year uh, commemorations it was just uh, very touching and you know i mean we carried the team also at uh, during the uh, 2018 season to, si- to signify the end of world war one 100 years ago and so on um yeah mm. and then the other teams um what did we have bavarian bronco yeah uh, there was a one of the Broncos, and actually, coincidentally, it was 18 most of the time, like 95% of the time, uh, for a period of a couple of months every year. Uh, the Broncos normally operated in the uh, Ostsee ranges out of Lubeck. But for two or three months a year, they would send one Bronco over, and most of the time it was 18, the one we, we, we are flying now. Mm-hmm. Uh, was sent over to Munich and operated out of Munich airport. Uh, for the, uh, I mean, over the ranges uh, in in the Bavarian, uh, whatever, Alps or so, I imagine. Um, and then there was a spotter there, a local spotter, as, as a little joke. He put like Royal Bavarian Air Force titles on the airplane. <laughs> 
and uh, put uh, the Bavarian flag on the fuel tank or whatever as as a as a joke. And he took some pictures or whatever, and they've been floating around, you know, on on the internet now. Yeah. Is that whatever? And some slides are floating around on the uh, the the, the uh, enthusiasts' uh, markets and so on. Sure. Well, I, I thought this was funny, and then I go like, look, but it never actually flew, you know. I mean, it just like produced those decals, put them on the airplane, took some pictures, and then removed them again. Mm. So I I thought it funny that we actually reproduce those and put them on the airplane and then fly for a season or so with with them. Um, so totally appropriate because it was the right airplane mm. service. It flew in that area, and actually the Royal Bavarian Air Force even existed for like about six months or so back uh, back at the end of the the first first World War as well. Mm-hmm. So um, then uh, what was that poppy team? I have to think now. Now we have the, the Wild West, isn't it? The Wild West team. So obviously the Bronco, it's an untamed horse mm-hmm. from the Wild West. The people who ever decided on, you know, to the designation of the airplane or, or named it Bronco, uh, must have either happened after the first flight. I don't know, but I mean, it, it's totally appropriate because the, the airplane basically behaves like an, an untamed wild horse mm. um, and obviously so the wild west connection um, booking bronco mm. and there you go um so moving actually from it occurred to me what we're talking moving from themes to the team uh it's quite familiar seeing you bring the whole team over and and it seems like a quite a large group i mean i don't know if they're, they're it's your family or friends or or, or whoever um and you set up, you know, merchandise stall and, and an information stall at, at air shows and stuff. Um, and you matching uniforms and you know, orange like thing, uh, uh, neckerchiefs and stuff like that. I mean, how important is that that large team to you as as both a, a demo team and to you as a pilot? Well, I mean, it's just been an amazing team. Uh, it was a bunch of young people, and uh, back well in two thousand and ten or so who came up with the ideas, uh, the idea themselves actually to build a team. I mean, they were all like aviation enthusiasts, photographers and so mm-hmm. on. And uh, we started flying the Bronco. So they came and, you know, took pictures and whatever. And they're, they're actually local people. So they, they came up with the idea uh, themselves. <laughs> what about if we do this? And um, so we uh, enthusiastically said yes. And that's uh, how it uh, how it all came about however you know i mean in the meantime these were young kids at the time you know <laughs> in their early or even not even 20s early 20s or so time time is moving on so they're now having kids of their of their own and uh they are moving about and so on as well so it's been uh it's been a fantastic uh 10 years um and we had like just an amazing, an amazing time, you know. I mean, traveling all over Europe um, in 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 a big team, and then every time, you know, coming up with this with this new with a new team and so on. It's been it's been um, um, yeah, an amazing an amazing run, really. Mm-hmm. Sure, it must make it very worthwhile as well traveling around with a, a large group. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But it's becoming a lot more difficult, and especially for the UK now these days. You know, with mm. Brexit. No, really. <laughs> we used to we used to bring the van over, 
not a big deal, but not today anymore, you know? No. Well, waiting at the border for the crossing. Yeah, for... with the merchandise and whatever you have to declare and so oh, on. Oh, of course. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's not so straightforward uh, anymore as it, as no. it used to be. Shame. So uh, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure how that's gonna work uh, in the uh, in the future. Mm. Well, that's a shame. And one of the questions we have is is the fact that you, you come to the show a lot and I uh, come to the UK a lot and uh, you display at UK air shows and, and particularly some of the smaller venues like um, I think you've been to Shuttleworth, for example, Old Warden. Yes. Yeah, um, what makes you keep coming back to the UK? Obviously, maybe that's not going to happen so much anymore. But what what has made you come back to the oh, UK? No, no, so no, no. It, it will definitely happen because basically. Our whole operation, the whole Bronco operation, I mean, both all the airplanes are, are registered in the UK. Mm-hmm. We're a CAP 632 operator, uh, UK CAA. Actually, in our whole operation, the only thing which is not British or UK is myself. But even I've got, you know, a UK pilot's license. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's only the nationality of the pilot, which is not, which is not English. So we're like a fully fledged english operation and the planes of course we were based we were based uh in kent and we were actually we were actually based in manston until um that airfield closed uh, sadly enough a couple of years back we were actually one of the i mean not the very last people to fly out of there or so but i mean i, I still remember in the very last days of manston mm. We were, we were. I mean, still the week before it closed, we were still flying out of Manston, and uh, we had our uh, maintenance set up there with uh, TG Aviation. Um, in the in the facilities of TG Aviation, our our own maintenance uh, organization set up there. Mm-hmm. We were quite happy, and we would still probably be based in Manston, in the UK today, if Manston would not have closed. But in the meantime, we had acquired a company over here, Kortrijk Wevelgem, which is very, very close to to Manston. It's like you know, it's it's the UK for us is only like fifteen minutes flying time. Sure. Or so. um, and with having the facility here, we just installed ourselves at at, at Kortrijk. But uh, as far as I mean, as that goes, the whole operation is a UK operation. Mm. So yes, we will always be in the UK and be plenty in the UK, and we hope to be, you know, as much in the UK as as we can ever be. Sure. Um, well, that's good to hear. Um, do you have not just in the UK, I suppose Europe in general, or or anywhere you've displayed? Do you have a favourite display venue, um, or is there anywhere in particular that you haven't displayed that you would particularly love to? I would love to say I have a favourite <laughs> display venue, but. Actually, every place we ever ever go to, I mean, it it kind of automatically always becomes a favorite. There is no non-favorite places. Mm-hmm. Wherever we go, I mean, the reception is always uh, fantastic. And again, you know, the nice thing we can go to very small venues. We can go to the biggest, the biggest, uh, the biggest venues, which is one of the nice things with with the Bronco. Um, and I mean, we go to the most, most amazing places. We endure the most amazing adventures mm-hmm. um, everywhere we go and also on the ferry flights and whatever. I mean, we, we really have a lot of fun uh, going anywhere. Uh, is there any particular place where we've not displayed yet? There is very, very, very few because I think over the years we've done almost all. Well, I mean, we've, for sure, we've done all the, the majors. Uh, just a year, 
COVID broke out. I mean, uh, we were discussing to do an extensive Ireland tour. Okay. Which is something we've not done yet, you know, but because in Ireland they kind of like um, sequel their displays a little bit so that it's worthwhile for everybody to come over. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, I mean, maybe next year or so that, that idea can be revived or so. So uh, definitely in, in Ireland itself, um, we still need to go in and show the Bronco, which is which is one thing um, I definitely would be looking forward to. Northern Ireland, we've been on, on, on many occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scotland as well. I mean, we've basically uh, mm. gone north, south, east, west, <laughs> and Europe-wise as well. And I mean, we've been fortunate as well to be able to take the Bronco down to uh, Elaine in uh, the United uh, Arab Emirates. Uh, yeah. We've, we've been invited to an air show in Turkey. And then, I mean, uh, as wide as you can go in, in Europe, we've kind of like um, yeah, covered it. Mm. Scandinavia is one, one of the things as well, still on the wish list as well. Like take it up up north to the far reaches, yeah, <laughs> to the far reaches, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, you you were planning on a North American tour a few years ago, and, and that didn't happen, unfortunately. Is that something you're still still planning to do or hoping to do? Yes, yes, still still planning to do. Um, however, with you know the worldwide situation as it has developed over the past couple of years, it, mm. it obviously it's probably a good thing. We've never embarked on that tour because we might still be we might still be there or, or, <laughs> or gotten stuck or something like yeah. that. Um, however, but it's still something. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm um, uh, looking into. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll wait how the whole situation develops. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've we've got no immediate plans or so. Sure. But, um, yeah, you never know. Um, is there any other type of airplane that you do fly quite regularly? Or would particularly want to fly quite regularly, even as a, just in general, or, or maybe even as a display aircraft. Uh, the other airplanes I fly quite regularly is one a Chipmunk, and secondly uh, a, a Marchetti. Mm-hmm. Um, people have asked me this question before. I've contemplated the question as well, and to be quite honest. Obviously, you would like to fly with a number of other airplanes for the experience. But um, to be candid, I mean, I'm very happy actually flying the Bronco mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for what it does, for what I just explained before. Well, I was, I, the, the way you've described it, it's, it sounds like you've, you've got your dream airplane. So, yeah, that's 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 it. And I mean, again, I, I think I started with saying like you couldn't wish for any other uh, or any better airplane to to be in this business with. So, uh, yes, obviously, you know, I mean, I'd like to go and fly a Mustang or a Spitfire or whatever, but who doesn't, you know? Yeah. But then, and then for that matter, <laughs> perhaps rather rather a Mosquito more than anything else or so. Mm. Two engines again. Um, not, not because it's got two engines, but because it's like kind of like... Um, um, what I seem to to be directed to. Sure, sure. Um, I think I have one last question, which I, I did wonder about. Um, Twenty seventeen at the Biggin Hill Air Show, you flew oh, yes. in, in formation with the with Sally B, the B seventeen, 
And yeah. I, I did think I did wonder about the formation at the time. I wasn't. I, I, I think I missed the explanation of it at the show, and I was wondering if you could explain what led to that quite unusual pairing. What led to that was Ellie Salingbo asking me whether. I mean, we became quite good friends. Mm-hmm. And actually, there is a little bit. You know, when the very, very one of the very, very first air shows I ever went to was actually at our home base here at uh, Kortrijk Wevelgem. And I'm not from the area. I'm from the Antwerp area, which is mm-hmm. it's an hour away from from Kortrijk. And there was a great Warbirds of Britain traveling show or so which did not exist for a long time mm. uh, back in uh, 79 and the organizer took sally b an a26 a c fury a spitfire and a bunch of other airplanes roadman's uh, sv4 team was there as well mm. uh, around and the intention was like to to take this traveling war- warbird circus around europe and i don't think they were i mean it, it worked. I mean, one one of the air shows they came. Well, one of the places they came to was Kortrijk Wevelgem, where where I'm you know sitting in my office now. And this is where I first saw Sally B, which was just uh, amazing. Mm. And I mean, the display at the time, Kate Seasons, was like just outright amazing as well. <laughs> <laughs> it was like unbelievable. I mean, sure. like, I I experienced firsthand. Uh, aluminium overcast you know like as a little 14 yeah 15 year old kid having a b17 10 foot over the top of your head while wow. you're like actually at the crowd line it's just amazing <laughs> so uh <laughs> and then over the years and being in the display world i mean we uh we got quite good friends with uh, with ali and on this occasion in in Big-Nil, a couple of years back we were driving the bus back uh <laughs> back to the hotel uh, after uh, on the arrivals day and Ellie was sitting next to me and she goes like mm, Tony I have a question <laughs> would you want to fly the Bronco information to B17 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I go like well I that. <laughs> yeah. so, the, so there isn't really any more rhyme or reason to it other than just your two friends wanted to fly in formation? Well, I mean, um, no, it was a great honor to do, and it was a great honor being asked by Ellie, Ellie herself mm-hmm. whether I wanted to do that, uh, which I thought was just, just amazing. Mm. Um, I think it got concocted between her and, and Colin or so at the bar the evening before. But however, I mean, it was, was great fun and a big, big, big honor to do. I mean, mm-hmm. just outright amazing. And then on top of that, over, over you know, one of the more uh, iconic uh, World War Two airfields being big and ill. Sure. Just outright amazing. Sure. What's your season looking like for the rest of the year? Well, uh, we are uh, off to uh, Collecton in a week or two or so, I mm-hmm. think. Then um, we got going to go uh, to Guernsey the week thereafter. From Guernsey, we fly up to Northern Ireland. Uh, and in the meantime, we still have a few smaller venues, I think, left and right. So it's it's going to be an exciting uh, end of the season mm-hmm. where we go, I mean, all over the UK from east to west mm-hmm. and south to north. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, again, it's, good, it's good to be back at the air shows again. 
Ja, ja, ja. It's fantastic. Everything has uh, started again uh, this year, and um, it, it. I mean, yeah, we were aching, but here it is again. So, mm -hmm. and it is good. Um, well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been a yeah, yeah, absolute no delight to yeah. chat, um, and certainly learned a few things about the Bronco, which I didn't know before. Uh, so, thank, thank you very much, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you again at an air show some some point. Because I mean, as well as what, one of the reasons we approach you is, is you're quite well known for for being out and about and talking to people with your plane and uh, wherever you are, particularly if you're, say, a member of Riat when you're on Static, I think, with a couple of Sky fans as well. Yes, um, And it was a quite big presentation you set up and you're out every day talking to people. So you're quite well known as a pilot who who, who loves being on the scene, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, that, that's what it's all about. I mean, it, it's, well, it's, first of all, it's not about us. It's about the airplanes, it's about aviation, mm -hmm. getting people into aviation. Uh, enthuse people, uh, make them enthusiastic about what we do, um, and and what an exciting life you can have once you get hooked uh, <laughs> onto aviation, and you know the amazing adventures you can, uh, you you will be able to uh, to enjoy. Mm. Well, absolutely, and uh, you're you're certainly doing a good job of that wherever you go. Um, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, see you around on the on the sh on the uh, circuit. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Looking, looking very much forward to that. And give us a wave when we uh, when we fly past them. <laughs> we'll <we'll> do. <laughs> so that's been another episode of the UK Airshow Review podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, then please do share us around uh, with your friends and family. We're on social media: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at UK Airshow Review. If you want to read any of our reviews, particularly any that have featured Tony and his Bronco, you can go to airshows.co.uk. And you can join in the discussion at forums.airshows.co.uk. Thank you very much, and see you in another episode. Goodbye.